from the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com People will buy in, but you'll have an element will. You'll have the good, the bad and the ugly. And uh, the good will be amazing. And the bad might do it sometimes and the ugly just won't do it at all. It's really exciting and it feels a wee bit sometimes like standing on a beach with the waters constantly sand, moving the sand under your feet. But that creates an excitement in a business because that means it's always on the move, it's always on the change. But I even relate it back to Alan MacArthur, uh, the MacArthur Foundation, um, Alan um, sort of rode rolled across the Atlantic Ocean I believe and she's seen a lot of plastic in the centre of the ocean. When she came back she said she's going to do something better. So I think she's been She's been somebody in the background that's actually made it come to the fore. I'm really excited to get nominated um, and it's a really brilliant alumni in Ernest and Young and the Entrepreneur of the Year. So there's 24 finalists and they were all on a call and we met each other and we had the 90 second uh, sort of tell all about the business. I don't know how I could say everything I'd say in 90 seconds, but. the voice of Joseph Doherty, co-founder and managing director of Regen Waste. And this is your host, Elaine Ingram. Joseph was recently nominated for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And the following podcast will tell you just why. The family-run business, which began in 2004, um, is trailblazing across the globe with exciting new ideas and products that Joseph plans to lead Northern Ireland to zero landfill waste. Um, and when you listen to him speak, He's pretty convincing that it will happen. Regen has been leading the way um, with waste management and they continue to create hundreds of jobs in the locality. So let's hear from Joseph now. Hi Joseph, nice to meet you. I'm Elaine. I'm here um, surrounded by information about the company Regen. Um, you've been going for 17 years. But um, you're, it's, it's not a, a, you know, something that's been down in your family for generations. So um, first of all, I suppose I'd just like to know how the whole idea of, you know, you're sitting in school one day and you think, oh, um, I think I'll start up a waste management business. <laughs> or how does that even happen when something is not in a family for generations and, you know, stuff like that? Well, I suppose um, it started with a brother of mine travelling to Canada and he when he was in he got the uh, chance to go to Canada to study for a year through the University of Ulster and when he was there recycling was top of everybody's agenda the Canadians I think they had a they were there maybe with a decade or two decades ahead so you're talking probably mid 90s he was in I was Canada I Canada around then it was very clean I did notice that <laughs> yeah, well, that, that would have been they would have been recycling at that point and I think travel Travel for him seeing that is what give so when he would have been only in his early twenties then probably at that point I was only probably about seventeen, um but he come back from Canada and probably a mix of him being in Canada and seeing that and then also my father having a construction business and generally business was something we grew up with yeah he would have grew his business from building one off houses in the country to uh, he built housing developments 
done his first housing development when I was only 14 in Bestbrook, 66 houses, uh, never forget it. So that was what we would have learned about business. And then that piece coming in of that knowledge from travel, which I think led to the growth of the business and the ability to find something that was niche, something new. So we weren't going into a business that was competing against anybody else. Nobody else had blue bins out. Northern Ireland was on a path to put a blue bin to every household over from, let's say, 2004 right up until 2010, 11, before I think every household had a blue bin. So we were growing a business at the same time as the demand was growing. Yeah. So, and we had no competitors. There was only a few competitors. So it was all to play for. Yeah. It was and that's completely the, open market, ready, ready and waiting for you there. Yes, yes. Yeah. And do you think, um, so do you think initially people bought into this whole, you know, the whole idea of recycling? Or do you think people were, you know, much becoming more environmentally aware and maybe because, as you said, like being, your brother being in Canada, you know, the globalization, the world is becoming smaller with the internet and everything, you know, that people are, you know, we're starting to see that other places were doing this and it just became a thing that became popular in Ireland. Yeah, look, I think we can see. Um, plastics ocean has driven a lot only in the later days but in the early days I would say you split your people into the good the bad and the ugly the good being the ones that wash out their bottles yeah. and all them things and the ones that maybe will just about get it to the bin and then there's the ones don't care what bin it's in probably generational too you know maybe maybe Although, having said that, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe older people kind of going, oh, this is a load of nonsense. But at the same time, when you think about it, a lot of the stuff, you know, disposable packaging and everything only came in in more recent years. So the older generations would have been doing that as a natural thing anyway. They wouldn't have been using as much waste, you know, yes, using yes. as much plastic and stuff like that. So, Well, I think probably yeah, the older generations were my parents would have lived in a time where there wouldn't have been a bin at a household to start with so everything probably was there's probably very little packaging the packaging would have been reused at the household for something else but as time would have developed on we've become a consumer society where we consume and demand and create this waste and so you've seen that amount of waste increase and so then they had to put in systems to collect that and take that back into reuse and make use of them raw materials so you're seeing that we're seeing this ever-changing shift from people reducing their impact on the earth. And this is a step. This is one step in the direction. This isn't the perfect step. The perfect step is to reuse everything. The perfect step is for you to have glass jars at your house for all the foods and um, take them to the shop every day and lift the materials. Well, it used to be like that. You used to return bottles and everything. You know, it used to be yeah. a lot less. It may, and in some ways, it could go back to that. I think that you're seeing full circle and us as a waste management company can't think that that's always going to be the way we can't think that there's always going to be waste produced at the household you will see reduction in your black bin being collected councils are going to have to try and force people to reduce the residual and that'll increase recycling but i think you'll also see maybe not in this decade or the next but you'll see shops then trying to reduce the packaging you might see actually people like a reusable bag, you might see reusable uh, boxes taking your cereals home. That's probably the ultimate. We're not there. And as a society, we culturally need to change. And you don't change a society culturally that easy. So it's a step at a time. But you will see paradigm shifts. And the biggest paradigm shift for me would have been the plastics ocean. And um, that has drove 
That just drove people's want and desires, but that has to translate through into people prepared to take the cost and take changes in their lives to make them changes, which I think still has a part way to go. Yeah, because you feel at times like, you know, you're just running around in circles because, yeah, uh, people are more aware and people are trying to recycle and trying to do the right thing. But at the same time, they're they're buying more. And and where does it, you know, where does the responsibility lie in that? Because you go into a supermarket and I know there's been campaigns to try and, you know, in fruit and vegetables and things like that, where they try and package, have less packaging and, you know, sell things loose without packaging and stuff like that. But it just seems that there's so much, um, there is so much packaging on products mm. and... The government, the government has been taking steps. Now, big brands have been make, taking steps as well, but I think you have to look at, they talk about the life cycle analysis of products. And this is where you have to get into the detail. Sometimes it's better to have a lot of packaging on something to preserve the product to the householder and maybe increase the uh, use-by date. So that means that you can have it on your shelf longer. So there's a constant battle between the energy used to create the uh, packaging against the energy used to create the food. And if the food lasts another seven, 10 days, well then that in a sense saves energy because that person would waste that food less. So yeah. there's a whole discussion and sometimes we have to be careful and we have to make sure the government educates people well enough that whenever whenever they make a decision to remove packaging that they're not causing an unintended consequence somewhere else. That unintended consequence might be if there was a plastic bag around uh, grapes and maybe them grapes might go off quicker if that bag wasn't, they make it damaged or, you know, it's not maybe a perfect example, but it's an example of where did the energy that it took to make, grow that grape and handle it and get it to the shopper, uh, was that more or was that less than the plastic packaging that protected it for longer? So I'm not an expert on it, but there's a whole discussion to be had and people need educated rather than just going no to plastic or no to raw materials. Them raw materials actually might be better for the environment than not good for the environment. Yeah. And there's also there's also been the constant the question of um, the amount of energy that it takes to actually recycle all the, the stuff that, you know, is that counterproductive. But for your business, tell us about it, about the business itself, that you're able to, you know, make it worthwhile. Yeah, well, um, probably the key thing about um, recycling, yes, the certain products, the certain products within the recycling bin, which are massive amounts of saving and energy, and the biggest one would be aluminium. The energy taken to remove aluminium out of its raw material in the ground is probably massive, and that... There's a massive saving. Plastic also, from a carbon point of view, also is a big saving as well. So it that's where the recycling really wins, and that energy saving is what's key important. Um, now, but but the business in general, you know, we we have a recycle with two parts of the business with the recycling plant, which is uh, your blue bin, which is your paper card, plastic bottles, steel, aluminium, and in recent years we've added glass. That adding glass has left it more convenient, but also we had to adopt the plant, and so we create a mixed glass product that we then uh, send out to another company to sort to then reuse back into bottles again. So there's a lot of technology involved, and that technology development has been happening over the last number of years, and will continually improve and will continually get better because it isn't a black and white. It's continual improvement. Our industry from coming from not being there 17 years ago to now being 
quite uh, central to even in the in the pandemic we were central to delivering paper to Hudimaki and Lurgan to make new egg cartons because some of the commercial outlets that they were depending on weren't there because they weren't producing the waste products to yeah. deliver the back for the earth so we were able to increase the amount of tonnage we sent them and that we were able to do that so we you have to realize how waste is a complex part of the whole supply chain and food to get back in the shelves especially in Hudimaki's case supplying the egg cartons back into the shops to get food to people it was one of the basic things so during the pandemic collecting waste off the streets if you could have a far worse than a pandemic if you didn't collect waste in the streets with the oh, disease true, and problems yeah. so general sanitation but on the other side it was producing that raw material so that's circular in itself and that shows how the circularity was so heavily dependent on in those key times and then both if we split the business then you've got the mixed waste business so your black bin at the moment that's being uh, treated in our uh, in another part of the business in Uri and uh, we remove any recyclables that we can and then we produce a fuel and that fuel then goes to be burned to make energy so that's the the two sides of the business so how did that i mean that must have been you know t- taken a, an awful lot of you know scientific engineering and everything to come up with these these ideas how did that come about in your business when I mean, you started off obviously just you know small and you've grown so much you know in terms of everything that you do now well it it starts with conversations starts with talking to people it starts with traveling and going and seeing where others are at it starts with all those things to come back to create a combination of what's the council or local councils demand that we treat the material so we had to come up with solutions and so we have to go out and meet and a lot of cases that means going to maybe countries that are ahead and seeing what them countries are doing and then bringing those ideas back and so that's how you I think it, you have to go and you couldn't talk to enough people and you couldn't learn from enough people to be able to come back to make sure you don't make the mistakes that they made. And so that's where we have to invest the time. And probably in the early days, I would have been more operational. Now I spend a lot of time talking to people and trying to grow the business more and be ahead of the curve and be ready for what's next needed for changes in what society will demand. And what do you think is next needed at the moment? You know, What's the next step in the... You know where you think we're going or what's you know where we are well in the next five years there's been two consultations out by the government and um i just recently got on a government advisory committee on packaging uh, to support these consultations and make sure that we as a company are shaping the rules of the future so that we can make sure that we as a company keep ahead but also that we're meeting the requirements so that operational ability but these two consultations that we've responded to lately will make big changes one of them was the deposit return scheme which is you'd remember uh, maybe you used to leave a glass bottle back into the shop and you yeah. got five or ten p we're now going back to that but we're not it's not going to be a reusable bottle it'll be that plastic bottle you'll pay the deposit when you buy it in the shop Right. And when you bring it back to a reverse venting machine, that will pay you your 10p or your 5p back. That still has to be set. And so the government's gone down that road. But also, what doesn't go into the deposit scheme, <clears throat> so in that deposit scheme, you would have plastic bottles, PET bottles, drink bottles, your glass bottles, and uh, your aluminium cans. That's going to remove that from your recycling infrastructure. But the other change... Would you not be able to put them in recycling anymore? Or do you have to, would you have to? You'll be able to put it in recycling, and we can take it but you lose the deposit. Okay, right. And now, this still has to be ironed out, and that might not be the way they make them up with what they call a digital DRS, where the 
you can read the code of the bottle and put it in your bin. But the government, from what I believe... Seems like an awful lot of work for the consumer though, is it? It probably is a lot of work. And this is where I think that people need to realise the ramifications of some of these things and the effect on the convenience of their lives to be able to just put it in a recycling bin. If you have to gather up all your plastic bottles and take them back to a reverse vending machine, that's extra work for you. Yeah. And will you do it? And how much of a difference will it make? Depending on certain people that will they will be very happy to do it and others won't. Would so they set them up in like shopping centres and have them in convenient places like that that you could do it? Yes, they will. It'll be sh- mainly back return to shops and you'll be able to... Some shops that aren't big enough for a machine will have to do either um, manual take back and so they hand out the 10p, take the bottle back and then they collect it in bags from those or reverse venting machines would be like you the venting machine you see only the you put the bottle in instead of taking it out. That's the DRS is something that I've mixed emotions on DRS because it's going to remove a quite a valuable part of the recycling stream. Yeah. And uh, but at the same time, it will increase the recycling because not everybody and there's a good chance it'll capture the people that don't recycle because they'll maybe want that five or ten p or twenty p whatever's put on the bottle. Well, it's kind of like the, the when the plastic bag charges came in. In the south, um, they you know you you had to pay for your bags. Well, you still do. Well, they started it down there and it came up here. Then after that, right. so some people say, oh well, um, you know it makes people you know reuse their bags, which is a a, a positive. Um, people got used to that very very quickly. I mean, some people complained about it at the start, but I thought, I mean, this it was kind of a no brainer. This was a good thing. It would make people use use reuse their packaging. Unless they wanted to pay. If you want to pay for a bag, fine, pay for your bag. But, um, you know, and it keeps bags being thrown in hedges, you know, keeping the countryside clean and things like that. I, th- I think it was kind of, it doesn't take long. People don't take that long to adjust to things. They might kind of give out about stuff at the start saying this is, even when the blue bins and brown bins came in, everyone's like, oh God, i gotta got to sort out all this stuff. But people buy into things fairly quickly, I think, you know, and you just get used to it. It's... I think, yeah, look, people people will buy in, but you'll have an element will. You'll have the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, as you were saying earlier. And uh, the good will be amazing and the bad might do it sometimes and the ugly just won't do it at all. Well, the thing I have to say, though, it, it can be confusing. Not what what you put in, but things like um, like cleaning out stuff. If, if, if something is not cleaned properly and put in the blue bin, does that contaminate the whole bin? No, it doesn't contaminate the whole bin, but it could mean like if a, it's it, more for me would be the picking operators on the lanes, getting getting materials where there's food traces on a food tray. That would be the sort of thing where then. So what w- happens then? You know. In in the case where it's not too contaminated, so it's slightly contaminated, we could still recycle that, and we could get it downgraded at a materials facility that would take down that melt that. But in most cases, most of the materials. It doesn't matter because aluminium uses high temperature, steel uses high temperature, plastic the same. So they do wash those products, but also we would separate them into different types. So we might have to separate that into a different grade and sell that separate. So you, you enter your blue bin into the you know into the truck, and is the stuff separated then? Was well, collected at the house or at the household by the truck. It's loaded into the truck. It, in Yuri's case, it comes back to the facility direct. So the bin lorry tips through our door. Uh, in the case of Councils, we take material from Mid Ulster and Causeway Coast and Glens. That comes in a, to the one of their transfer stations. 
they load it in our truck, we take it back to our facility, you might see our trucks on the road uh, travelling uh, from north north down to Newry and we sort that it's tipped in on the tipping hall. The tipping hall then is loaded onto the plant and then the plant feeds through any contaminants that somebody puts in, so large contaminants you could have you could have a pair of shoes or a rug fired in that yeah. shouldn't be there and that's not yeah. common but it still happens so we have people that picks that out. It runs through the machinery then it's quite so homogeneous. Actually have people who literally pick the things out. Yes, yeah. yes. If machines yeah. does That's what I was saying. I was wondering yeah. that because machine can only do so much. You need to have yeah. eyes that can, you know you know, you need to yes. have people. Well, funny enough, just in the now and sort of end of July, we'll have another addition to the recycling plant, which is another 10 optic sorts. Them 10 optic sorts will then do far more and sort to a far bigger number of grades. And so that's an investment we're taking so that that, that's a step for us. It's a 5 million investment is happening at the moment. So we hope that running and operational fully end of July. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just one another thing I wanted to ask about the, 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 the blue bins. A lot of times, now this is, the lids break off really easily. And I, I know so many people whose bins are, have no lids on them, right? <laughs> Including me. <laughs> but um, I mean, I try and cover it up. But what happens then if it rains and the stuff gets wet? Is that... It does. The, the, if, the, if the material gets wet, it can cause moisture issues. Now, we would have, when we sell materials, we sell them to people, they demand a certain moisture content. But we can't control the rain either. And yeah. we can't control... Now, we would hope the councils would ask them people to put their lids or the councils go out and fix the lids for but them. there's so many li- bins with broken lids. You see them everywhere. I, the, li- the lids are just not made very well. Yeah, they must come a, off in the trucks when they're, you know, when they're emptying them into the trucks, they must come off. I know this is nothing to do with you. It's, it's not something that we would deal with direct. Yeah. Probably the, the material getting wet can, so if new newspaper, but any collection receptacle, can, the material, if it's not handled right, the material can get wet. And I suppose the key thing is, if it gets wet, it can, then moisture can travel to other pieces of paper. Yeah. So that's probably, the more you can have lids on bins, the better. It would be better for us. It runs better in the recycling plant. But don't worry it'll still be recycled okay. we'll make sure it's been recycled but hopefully all the dry stuff makes up for the bit of wet that we get right. so uh, you know I'm, I'm glad you told me that yeah <laughs> yeah well look it's, it's an advantage for us if they are covered yeah. but for if everybody was coming in that wet it maybe would leave it harder to recycle yeah Get ready to shake up summer with the Get Active ABC Sunshine Fill Programme for kids and families. Get set for land-based adventure at our summer schemes, or why not get adventurous and maybe get wet at our Splashtastic Water Sports Summer Programme. There are so many things to do, and all we need is you. See getactiveabc.com summer for all the details. So for you now, for the business itself, I mean, I know you're um, you're doing really well. You were actually um, an entrepreneurial award. Tell us about the award. It looked really interesting, really excited to get nominated. Um, and it's a really brilliant alumni in Ernest and & Young and the Entrepreneur of the Year. So there's 24 finalists yeah. and they were all on a call and we met each other and we had a 90 second uh, 
sort of tell all about the business. I don't know how I could say everything I'd say in 90 seconds, but um, so probably didn't get a lot from me, but really interesting, some really interesting businesses. And I think like it's so amazing what does be happening. Some of the growth businesses that's happening, it's just amazing. You know, everything from beauty to uh, brick manufacturers is on it. So there's a real broad range of businesses and uh, I'm really excited about the next few months because there's a great uh, plan of what to do with any of the 24 finalists and the time they spend with them and the interaction with other people. So really look looking forward to that networking opportunity. And look, uh, look, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to be fit to uh, go against any of the other ones as there, but they've got this far. Really happy with that. Well, it's it's a it's a, you know I mean that it's a huge thing and it's a really really brilliant achievement. But I mean your business is so um, you know you're it's so the environmentally friendly part of the way the world is right now i mean you couldn't be more you know at the at the right in the right place at the right time you know um and it must be very rewarding because you're doing something you know that's so positive do you find that um rewarding in your work i do i do look it's it's exciting to be part of something that's growing something that's important to a lot of people and there's a lot of interest and we had an open day it was two years ago in the facility and we had over a thousand people come to see the facility which was really brilliant for us on the team like at the end of the day, you have to remember i'm only talking on behalf of the other near 300 people that works in the business and my family of my brothers and sister is all part of it so i'm just the one that goes out and speaks and um but it's them that's doing all the hard work i just do all the talking so um but yeah it's really amazing business to be part of and it's really exciting and it feels a wee bit sometimes like standing on a beach with the waters constantly sands moving the sand under your feet but that creates an excitement in a business because that means it's always on the move it's always on the change and we need to be sharp enough to be ahead both of our competitors but also ahead of the change because them's two things that we need to be if we if if we don't we fall behind and we don't deliver yeah because yeah that seems to be a theme with you know successful businesses in any in any any type of successful businesses is always like being ahead of the curve and always like knowing what's out there and keeping your eye on you know new innovations and things that are coming on the market and things that are that will help you in your business but i mean how 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 big is the business now i mean what did you start off with and what have you become to what have you come to now in terms of your machinery and in terms of what what you have well we started 17 years ago yeah. with nothing. We had nothing, we had no contract, we had no people, we had no anything. So, you know, those days I was the only person there. Uh, my sister come to look along with me then after that and then after so that. So you were just in an office at that point or had you got a warehouse? What, what, what way did you... Well, we started actually with no warehouse, with no building. We had to start from scratch. Um, and lucky we come from a construction background, so we so uh, knew how to do. We had the ability to build. We were if some process material treatment was something that we had through the construction background and we were able to then bring that over into the waste but yeah it started from here in these offices to then getting the site and then from that then building the site not knowing what we're going to put on it and then taking it from not knowing what we put on it to something that we could make a business off we were going to build a big building and we didn't know what we were going to put in that big building so i had to go away and talk to people and that's the talking to people at the crossroads to check to sort of find out what was needed and that's what we come up with the red blue bin and the recycling so that's that was our first kickoff we had a big plant built and um, we had to go out and win contracts to fulfill that how, how hard was that when you're unknown you know well i mean you're known in your own industry but how, you're not unknown in, in that end of things and because it was a new industry so how was how hard of a sell was that 
trying to get contracts and you know it's very hard because when you're a business starting off nobody wants to you're the you're starting off with no track record no yeah. background nobody wants to work with you. only yuri council we were the closest i think they had to drive a lot further to go to somebody else so they took a chance on us once we got that first and council that's contract. Huge, I mean, if you've got Newry Council, I mean, that's 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 huge in itself then. It was. It was a big tick in the box for any contract you would go after that because you had a reference. And as long as we delivered and done well for Newry, which we did do, Newry was happy to then say, well, these guys are delivering for us. And then that's important for them, the rest of the councils, because they'd do the same. And what were the biggest challenges back then? Apart, had, from, apart from getting your getting your people to listen to you and see what you had to offer. What were, the, what were the other challenges that were hard? We didn't have the expertise in the business. When you're a, a business starting with no people, you have to do everything yourself. Yeah. And I would uh, I would hate to look back at some of the work that I'd done because then I didn't have expertise in a lot of areas, whether it was tendering for council projects. But uh, we got the business going and then we were able to employ the right people. And then you got to a point where you're big enough to employ experts in different backgrounds that then it left it easier and easier. So every time the business got bigger, you were able to bring in more expertise to leave it easier to run. So it's easier to run a business where you've got activity happening and experts in the room to help. But it's a lot harder whenever you're on your own or just it was just a family member. You're trying to do everything because, yeah, and you're not experts in everything, obviously. So, yeah, no. you need to get the experts in there. Uh, we're experts at failing and everything. We <laughs> learned. That's how we learned. Well, so. anybody in business will tell you that there's no such thing as failure. It's all learning, isn't it? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's say we learned a lot then in the early days. And how is it working with the family? And many of you have family... There was what, there's three or four brothers? Is there's, um, I, well, there's three of us as owners, myself, Aidan and Colin, but also we have another sister and brother works in the business. Celine works in uh, product sales and John works in the procurement team's tendering team. And so they're rocks in the business. They're important, but also there's a lot of staff has come in in the number of years have been with us, 10, 12, 15 years. Um, so really we've, we depend a lot on them and they actually carry it a lot of ways now. Whereas nearly they're better at them things than we are. So we have to step back and do what we're told at points. But yeah. that's good because that means they're taking control, they're taking ownership, they're taking responsibility and they're also delivering better than we could. Yeah. But how was it working with your family members and how was it in the early days? You know, was there, um, was it all very, you know, what everybody is it agree with everybody? And <laughs> what is it to say in football in the middle of a, in the middle of a fight, a game broke out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> No, look, we, we yeah, do pull together. Yeah, because you don't act like that when, you know, you're, you're working with different colleagues. But when it's your family, you can t people tend to be a bit more um, honest in their opinions. But also <laughs> honest, say. but also forgiven. Yeah. And you have to be forgiven because at the end of the day, it is tough. It's tough to get it right. And it's quite high demand whenever it's your family because everybody wants to do the best. And one thing I can be clear on, everybody and all the team, never, not even just the family, but they're all pushing the right direction they are pushing the right direction for the business and that's key. And probably everybody has different skill sets to bring as well, you know, their own personalities and their own things that they bring to the business. Well, your, your family, not even, not, not the experts that you've brought in, you're, I'm talking about the actual family members. Yes, everybody's different, everybody's got different skill sets and you can see that and that was, that was key in the early days because you were able to close off more of not having them experts when you have people that maybe had a skill set that could cover that. Yeah. Uh, and probably one of the things I, I think people don't need to come to work in our business with all the knowledge. They need to come with, if they come with enthusiasm, the energy, 
I think that on the, to the the want to think and learn, I think that'll be successful working with us because I think that we'll fill that gap because then the knowledge people can change from job to job. It's it's the thinking and the energy that matters, not not the exact knowledge in that business. Yeah, and it's about being prepared to, you know, really like work for decide that you really want to be a part of it and being there for the right reasons, I suppose, as well. Yeah, and look, if, if somebody comes and doesn't want to be, we don't want them in the business either. Your colleagues don't want them. You have to be, you have to, sometimes people don't enjoy certain businesses and they're better be in the business that they would enjoy. So you have to, you have to have team members that all want to be pulling in the one direction because one person pulling against this can be damaging. So you have to be, you have to have your team all pulling in the right direction. And how many have you got now working for you, did you say? With 293 about on last count about three weeks ago and that was a big increase from we had about 250 up until it was February March time we a company like similar to ourselves into administration in the northeast of England and so when their their councils was in trouble they needed a quick solution so we were able to deliver a quick solution to them councils so we ended up there's about 50 truckloads a week comes from northeast of England back to Newry that's a lot of jobs there's 43 jobs on that work coming from England that's coming in that Northern Ireland didn't have. So we're bringing raw material back to Northern Ireland, we're bringing product and we're bringing an opportunity for us to develop some of the projects we want on the new Invest Northern Ireland site that we've planned on mission for to make products locally that we can sell locally. And so that's our big aim to fulfill that circular economy yeah. that everybody's pushing for. Well, that's that's the steps we'd like to take. Um, we have in R&D at the moment we have a number of projects one in paper one in plastic and one in glass and they are part way there but if we can complete they'll be we'll be building a new site and we'll be fulfilling them steps which we believe will close the loop locally so um, I can't say no more because we're still working in that space yeah, but it sounds very exciting <laughs> it is it is and groundbreaking and that's where we want our business to be and we feel feel by doing that will be fulfilling what's needed what the people want and also what the policy and government's looking for as well which is ultimately what the people want yeah were you affected by brexit at all in all of that like you're dealing with them in england and stuff like that brexit for us northern ireland's been treated as a third state for certain rules between the eu and northern ireland now what what that translates through into we would have what they call transfrontier shipment paperwork, which is quite onerous for shipping any recycle we take yeah. from the Republic of Ireland into Northern Ireland. But now, in dealing with GB, we have to then take, follow that same paperwork. And that's quite an arduous process of up to six weeks. Costly. Oh, costly. Yeah. Time. We'll have to employ a few people. So you're probably talking Brexit's adding two people, extra resources and trailers shipping over and back from England because you have to be in certain slots through customs paperwork but also then this weight TFS paperwork as well so it's an added dimension but I think we're lucky that we're at a scale where we're able to handle that we can employ people and we have enough volume to make it pay to be able to do it but it leaves it a bit harder for us to quit and win work in England whenever and in Scotland too whenever we're having to go through this paperwork process so it makes it feel like we're now a separate um, entity from the UK from a business point of view and that leaves it harder to do business and it's not been left any easier to do business with the Republic of Ireland either. So actually, we don't win either way. Yeah. And that's the, the disappointing part is. And what about COVID? Were you affected by that at all in any way? The business? 
Well, at the start of COVID, we weren't sure what the government was going to say. We were sitting waiting on the government possibly to ask us to close, ask people to stay at home, and maybe they could have turned around and said, root landfill everything, so you reduce the number of people. Now, we then quickly realised, we weren't getting any guidance, but we quickly realised that we were being told, if you can operate, keep operating. But then we realised that Hudamaki required more material, and so the general raw materials was needed back into society well, to fulfil the requirements. Well, you were an essential service, pretty much, you know, you were... Yes, yes, yeah. we were an essential service, and um, it was. You know, I have a lot of respect for the people, and that works in our facility kept going every day, even though they didn't know what the risk was, what the has. We had to ch- make changes, and um, we done everything that we could. We had set up a COVID committee, a team which had engineers, health and safety people, operation managers, all come together and design changes in the whole facility to make it safe for people. So the pickers and the picking lines had screens between them. You had uh, we had uh, deep cleaning between shifts. We deep cleaning throughout at break times. You know we had uh, we put in a system that controls who gets onto the site. We had temperature checks coming onto the site. We had hand sanitizers put right around the facility to make sure that people could access. We put up a tent, or probably uh, maybe like a big wedding marquee in the site, and people were able to uh, socially distance and have their lunch. So we've done a lot of changes. All the waybridge then was isolated from the truck drivers coming in. So the paperwork didn't have to be handed across. So we reduced any touch points that we could see around the business. So people felt safe. I remember the mechanic saying whenever he, when he says, I feel safer here than do at home. So it was, it was important that we had invested the time. But what I quickly come to realise is people weren't interacting. And we weren't allowed to allow them to interact. But people missed that interaction. So I think that there's still a toll to tell on that. And uh, there's a bit of loss of team camaraderie because they can't yeah. get together. So uh, that's, I think that's something that hopefully we'll have to work on when things settle down. But keeping people safe was our number one priority. Uh, from a business uh, operating point of view, tonnage stayed the same, actually increased because people were buying more uh, well, products. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, definitely you would have more because yeah, people aren't... Although you'd have, you wouldn't have... Well, I suppose it swings and roundabouts really. You would, you would have more from households. But from businesses, you'd have less because businesses were closed. So. You see, we're focused on households. households. So we had, like, you can laugh, but uh, glass bottles increased nearly double. Oh, so yeah, well, I can guess we had plenty of wine <laughs> bottles in there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, you can, uh, you can nearly tell it. But so in the first lockdown, there was an awful increase in uh, glass, plastic and aluminium cans to a lesser extent. But glass seemed to jump the most. Right. Um, so you can you can interpolate what you think from yeah, exactly. that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look the the tonnage increase. So we actually, I think we done. We were so lucky to have a business to keep operating, and because I'm be so concerned about the businesses out there that didn't have that chance, and have had to suffer through losses on overheads, close the doors, especially the hospitality sector. I think that uh, it's been a very tough time for them and hopefully they'll have their win now whenever things open up and people have all this money to spend they'll hopefully spend it in those places and hopefully give them businesses money back to be able to maybe claw back what they lost over the last year they'll have to wait until they're ready to actually open again because at the moment when they have only half capacity it's very difficult to see how any of them are making any money you know places are half empty because of the restrictions that are still in place but hopefully that will lift soon 
But in terms, do you, what about um, clothes and things like that, that, that type of material, do you recycle stuff like that as well? No, no, we don't recycle we clothes. Don't, yeah. Um, we did trials on it in the past where we had a washing machine and we washed the clothes and, but the, the demand on the quality of clothes is so high that it wasn't something that we were able to deliver. It's such on a tricky one as well because you see, and I was reading about this recently, um, sending clothes off to different countries, you know, like collection, clothes collections and stuff like that. You know, they go off to Africa and places like that and then their industries are being destroyed because they have, they can't make their own. So everything is very intricate. I mean, there's ups, there's ups and downs to everything. You know, you think you're doing something good, you know, you send them away and think that's doing the right thing. But as it turns out, that's not, not necessarily the right thing at all to do, you know? Well, I don't know a lot about yeah, the clothes yeah. sector. It would be something in the individual sector that they use bring banks and the, they collect the, from the bring banks. It wouldn't be usually something that would be encouraged in the recycling bin. Yeah. yeah. And what about building materials? Do you what ever get space? people that are putting things like that in that shouldn't be in there? Oh, you do. You get the odds. You get, as I said, there's a few ugly yeah. <laughs> and uh, you get ugly things in too. So, yeah, look, we have to but deal with... But do you think that people are getting better in general? Yes, I do. I believe that they're curing more and they can see better quality coming all the time. And yeah, they def- definitely can see it. And do you think education is key to that? You know, people knowing, you know, educating people on the importance of, of what you're doing? Yes, I think you have to continually educate if you can continually keep people, and I think the likes of the Blue Planet has been a big help in that because yeah. people feel I need to do my bit. So it's that cultural change, and like that cultural change does it, it takes time, but it also takes big shifts, like people like David Attenborough yeah, telling he's people about this. Absolutely incredible, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's something else, isn't he? Yeah, well, he, he's, he's caused a paradigm shift, but I even relate it back to Alan MacArthur. Uh, the MacArthur Foundation, um, Alan um, would have rowed a rowboat across the Atlantic Ocean, I believe, and she's seen a lot of plastic in the centre of the ocean. And when she came back, she said she's going to do something about it. So I think she's been, she's been somebody in the background that's actually made it come to the fore, and she's not recognised publicly for it. But I don't think that matters to her. She's, I would say, it's what raised it to give somebody like David Attenborough the platform on which to really shout about it and uh, she may have had something to do with it but I know that Alan MacArthur in the Waste Trade magazines interview would always see that it would have been her that set up and she set up a whole foundation to drive the plastic pact around reducing single-use plastic so it's come very much on the back of the likes of her that has in sport has been very strong and now she's bringing that to the to the sea of the world yeah yeah so uh, when do you hear about this award? The, um, do you know when you'll hear anything? I think um, from what I've got now, there's, uh, we've met a number of times and I think we meet the judges in September, November time and you get a decision quickly after that. Yeah. So yeah, look, I'll put my best foot forward but with the competition being so stiff, I'll not hold out any uh, thoughts of maybe winning it. I think I'm just glad to get to where I got to and to meet yeah. the people that are getting to meet. So. That's that's the and it's the best a recognition, it. you know, and it's you know it's you know it's a recognition anyway. To be be nominated is a huge is a huge thing, but hopefully, hopefully now you'll you'll do well in it. Hopefully, but I have to remember it's my team as well. It's not just yes. me. I'm just fronting it for all of them. Yeah. So I just do the talking. They do all the real work. And the amount of people that you've employed locally and everywhere, you know, it's just you know. It's, it's all good. Look, it's great to be able to add something to the local area. 
the road soon. Let's let you do our bit. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to that um, and got lots of ideas about recycling. It really does just go to show that we are all uh, cogs in the wheel when it comes to creating a better world. Make sure to keep getting all of your news from RMI and I hope you join us next time for our podcast. From the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney Competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more. From just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see McKinneyCompetitions.com.